As we look out across the landscape of our world and just having some conversations with uh, some folks this morning, even uh, as we were coming in and watching the news this week, there's uh, some things that are saying, being said across the news about uh, Christianity becoming extinct in just a few years or certainly becoming a minority religion in America. And as we look at these things, the challenge for us is what we've been talking about all this year, and that is church. We are to be the church. And we're looking at Be Courageous Church right now as we're going through the book of Acts. And we're looking today in Acts 17, which we're going to look at in a few minutes. And so here's the question. If you were given the opportunity to change the world, how would you do it? You know, some folks would say, well, if I'm going to change the world, one thing I'm going to, maybe for you, would be you want to invent a car that flies. That'd be, that would change the world. Uh, some people would say, well, if I want to change the world, then I'm going to run for office. Said, okay, that's good. Or some would say, well, if I want to change the world, I'm going to get rid of daylight saving time. And I say, you got my vote right there. <laughs> These are big ideas that may or may not change the world. But here's what we want you to understand today as we look at the word of God together. As a beloved, as a disciple of Jesus, you're part of the church. You are the church. As a disciple of Jesus, You have what it takes to change the world. You have that already. And so as we continue looking at the book of Acts, Paul and Silas are accused of turning the world upside down. And so what does that really look like? And are we able to really do that today? And and why would we even want to do that? Well, and then what does that take if so? So let's take a look at it, shall we? So I'm going to ask if you would, if you're able, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read from Acts 17. We're going to be looking at the first nine verses. We've been going chapter by chapter and missing a few verses here and there uh, from the uh, chapters to get each chapter in. But for this chapter, maybe one or two others, I'm going to do just the first part of 17 this week and then the latter part next week. All right. So today we're going to just look at the first nine verses. So now when, verse, chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they, that's Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ." And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews or the Jewish leaders were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city, authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, we thank you how it speaks to us, and we pray, Lord, that indeed it would speak to us today. Lord, by your Spirit, that you would challenge us to be the people of God you've called us to be because of what you have done in our lives, but also how you have commissioned us. So, Lord, I pray that you'd guide us and direct us to be the church, to be the disciples in this world that, that, that we're, in which we're living 
to make a difference and to change the world for your glory and by your power. Lord, I pray that you'd be with those who are here today for salvations for those who don't know you, for renewal of faith and recommitment for those of us who do. But Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, there's three things we want to look at as we look at this passage of Scripture. Then there's two action points, two to-dos at the end. And so I want to ask the question and say, what does it take to change the world? If we want to change the world, what does it take to change the world? And we see three things in this passage, and really they go together. So you can't uh, really take them apart from each other, but you have to take them all together. And the first thing we're going to see here is this idea of determination. It takes determination to change the world. And so these disciples, as we said already, they're accused of turning the world upside down. And while the mob is exaggerating here quite a bit, there is truth in what they're doing in turning the world upside down. And we'll see that as we move along. But let's think about this determination in verses 1 and 2 again. It says, And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And so we look at this characteristic of these men, that they are turning the world upside down, if indeed they are doing that, and indeed we believe they are. Then what is the characteristic we see even in these first two verses? And that is this, we see determination by these men. And you have to just recognize the the determination of these guys. I mean, let's just think about what has taken place in their lives already. So if you backed up a few chapters, you remember when they were in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas there were in Lystra. And remember that they, the the city, the people of the city, uh, dragged Paul out of the city and stoned him because of his preaching and they left him for dead. But we also remember that Paul got up and went back into the city. It wasn't long after that that there was problems with people who claimed to be believers in Jesus, who were Pharisaical Jews, and he had debates with them about salvation, so they had to go to Jerusalem to settle that debate. And then it wasn't long after that that there was a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, his, co- his colleague in the ministry, and they separated and went in two different directions with a different team. Each one of them had a different team uh, uh, with them as they went on their mission. And then and Paul and Silas now are together, and we talked about this last week, where Paul and Silas had thought, there was some uncertainty, but they had thought that they were going to Asia, but then God redirected them to Macedonia, and then as they get there, they find some people praying, and there's this wealthy woman there who's, who's praying, and then right after the wealthy woman and the people who are praying there, and, and she comes to Christ, then we find that there's a demon-possessed slave girl who keeps following them and really annoying them, and of course, we know that Paul cast out the demon in Jesus' name. And then it's not long after that that the people who owned that slave girl were upset because of what had taken place. And then we see Paul and Silas. What happens then? They're attacked by the mob. They're beaten with rods. They're inflicted with blows. And they're cast into prison. And their feet are placed in stocks. And so what we know, though, is that God worked a miracle. And the prison doors opened. And the chains came off. And the jailer got saved. And they're able to leave the prison. And you would think that with all of that that's taking place, they would come to this point. We'd come to this chapter and we'd read that Paul and Silas, after all they'd been through, decided it was time for a vacation on a Greek island. But that is not what we see, is it? That's not there. What we see is right after that, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now that in of itself shows some determination because it's a hundred miles 
from Philippi where they were imprisoned. Now they've gotten out of prison and they're traveling 100 miles. And that's a long time, long way in that society, in that culture without cars and what have you. And they went to Amphipolis, which is 30 miles. Another 30 miles is Apollonia. And then the rest of the way is to Thessalonica. They go there. And then we see that they go. Notice what, what they do. Where they go there to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. So they go to the Jews in the synagogue knowing full well that as they go into the Jews' synagogue, that they're going to face opposition. They're going in there for a purpose. They're going in there to preach Jesus. And they know full well, as they've experienced already, that there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be people who push back. There's going to be hard times. But there are also going to be some people who will come to know Christ as their Savior, and they press on. Amen? They keep pressing on. And so it tells us they point to Jesus and Paul was to point them to Jesus as was his custom going into the synagogue for these Sabbath days. Man, we look at their lives and and we see, man, what determination these people had. What determination this early church, these early disciples, these missionaries had. And we think, oh, pastor, how I wish I had that same kind of determination that they did. And beloved, let me just tell you today, you do. You do have the same kind of determination. But you see, friends, we're determined to do all kinds of things today, right? Some of you wanted to make sure that you got here in time because you were determined to get your parking spot. Some of you left Sunday school and quickly to get to your, your seat because you were determined to get your pew. Come on now, y'all know this is right, right? But if not that, we know that we are determined in times to get our kids to ball practice. We are determined to go on vacation. We're determined to get that coffee. I need my coffee. We're determined to go to the coffee shop to get that coffee. We're determined to buy that dress that we saw was on sale. I'm going to get that dress. Or we're determined to get through that novel that I picked up. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to read it. You see, these things aren't necessarily bad things to be determined about. But here's what I want you to understand about being determined and having determination. It's this. Beloved, we are determined to do the things that we are passionate about. That's what we're determined at. We're determined to do those things that we love. We're determined to do those things that are our focus So I guess the question for us, if the call is for us to be the church, the question is, are we determined to point people to the one who has saved us by his grace? Are we determined to point people to Jesus? Are we determined in our walk with the Lord? Are we determined to continually seek to grow in our faith? Are we determined to to seek to grow in our love for the Lord and to seek to grow in being more and more like Jesus? Because here's the thing, friends, is that when we are determined, then we will go to great lengths to do what we want to do. Come on now. Amen. When we're determined about something, we will go to great lengths to do whatever it is that we want to do. And so we look here at the Paul and Silas and, and the, the uh, word that was getting out to the community that, that this is, these are those people who are turning the world upside down. And the world was upside down because disciples like Paul and Silas are determined at telling others about Jesus. Well, where does that determination come from? 
Well, we see from Second Chronicles, Second uh, Corinthians, I mean, from chapter 5, where that determination comes from, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth in Second Corinthians chapter 5, when he says things like this in chapter 5, verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So he's saying there that there's a determination in his life because he recognizes that God is a holy God and that apart from Jesus Christ, people will perish because people are under the wrath of God. He also says in verse 14, for the love of Christ constrains us or controls us. He's saying, look, I have this determination because of this love of Jesus that, that controls me and, and constrains me and propels me forward. In, first, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, he says these words, and he died for all, Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so he's saying, look, I have this determination because it's not about us, but it's all about him and how he died and he rose again so that we can have life. In, in verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So Paul is saying, look, here's why I do what I do because Jesus changes everything, amen? And in verse 20, when he says, therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. So he's saying, look, we have this determination because of the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ and because of what he's done and that he changes everything. But also he's given me a commission and we are all as disciples. We are his ambassadors. You see, that determination, friends, is in every disciple of Jesus Christ who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, knowing who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has called us to do. So we see their determination and we see that they stay at it. The Bible tells us there in verse two that, they, that Paul goes in as it was his custom and on three Sabbath days, that means that there's three weeks that he's continually pointing the people to Jesus. So with great patience and care, Paul just kept pointing them to Jesus. He didn't demand that they believe what he said, but he spent time and he talked to them there in the community, but also in the synagogue. And beloved, we can learn something from this. Amen? We can learn something. That we need to take time as disciples today to be intentional at pointing people to Jesus right where you are, meeting people where they are. So wherever you are, wherever you live, wherever you frequent, be intentional to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. That may mean serving in a food pantry or a homeless shelter to point people to Jesus. That may mean teaching English as a second language to those who, who don't know English or don't know it well in our community to teach and, and to use that as an opportunity to point people to Jesus. That may mean volunteering as a coach on, on your kid's ball team, or maybe it's volunteering in the concession stand, or maybe it's just being the light in darkness among the, and the people who are in the bleachers, or maybe it's being in a community group, hosting a community group, or attending a community group, and inviting people who don't know the Lord to come to that community group, or maybe it's going to the same restaurants over and over again, or the same coffee shops, and you see the same people all the time coming in and begin to be intentional to strike up conversations for the purpose of being salt and light to point people to Jesus. Praying for your neighbors and praying with your neighbor. Simply, friends, it's this. It's being salt and light in your homes. It's being salt and light in your workplace. It's being salt and light in your school or in the marketplace, wherever you are. Because listen, being the church, being a disciple does not stop 
when you walk out those doors. You, become, you are the church out in the world. So work and play and live life with intentionality, with the good news of Jesus. And as you tell people about Jesus, hear me about this too. Make sure that you're living it out. Live out this life of following Jesus. But let me just tell you something. You may, may find this hard to believe. But it's hard to tell somebody about Jesus if you just cussed out the umpire. Right? I mean, you're in the bleachers and you cuss out the umpire and you just give him down the country for a call that you don't like. And then you turn to your name and say, hey, have you heard about Jesus? It doesn't work. Come on now, somebody say amen. amen. It just doesn't work. Live out the life. So keep pointing people to Jesus with your life and with your lips and have the determination and stay at it. I brought these chairs up here today because several weeks ago, if you recall, those, some of you were here at that point, but some are new. Uh, we have these chairs that are sitting out in the foyer typically. And uh, at the end of the service uh, several weeks ago, we invited people to come and if they had one person, that they would say, I'm committed to pray for this one person who I know doesn't know the Lord or they've strayed away from the Lord, whatever the case may be, I'm going to put their name down right here and I'm going to pray for them. I'm committed to pray for them and I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to try to point them to Jesus. And so I know from talking to several of you, there's a few people here who can come up to this chair and, uh, and now scratch out some of those names because some of those people have come to know Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord for that, right? Amen. So grateful for that. But I want to encourage you that if you've forgotten, to don't forget anymore, to remember from this point forward, to continue to stay at it and keep praying for that one person and keep telling those people about Jesus Christ. And when that person comes to know Christ, it may be possible for you to bring them to these chairs and show them where you've been praying for them and how that, now they know Jesus Christ and now you can write down another name. Amen? But to stay at it, just keep praying for your person, whoever that one person is, and keep pointing them to Jesus Christ through your life and through your lips. So it takes this determination. But the second thing that goes along with the determination is what we know as proclamation. You see, changing the world takes more than just determination. Because there have been many people who've climbed the ladder trying to change the world only to realize they got to the top and they climbed the wrong ladder. Paul here isn't climbing a ladder, but what he's doing is he's sharing the gospel, which is known as the good news. The good news means the gospel. The gospel means good news. This good news is telling people about Jesus. And Paul goes to the Jew first and then to the Greek. But this good news of Jesus is what changes the world. Come on now. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the one who changes the world. And so what we see here is he's sharing this good news of the gospel of Jesus. And we look at and see it in verses two and in verse three. So we'll pick up at the end of verse two where we see that he's after three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And so he's telling people 
that Jesus has suffered on a cross, that Jesus rose again bodily from the grave and from the dead, and that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the promised one, and we see here that he reasons with them from the scriptures. Now understand that as he's telling them the scriptures and pointing to the scriptures to point to Jesus, all the scriptures he has is the Old Testament. And as he's showing them the Old Testament, he's pointing to Jesus. And the Bible says he reasons with them, meaning he dialogues with them from the scriptures. Can't you just imagine Paul going into the synagogue and asking for the parchment scrolls and saying, look, let's, let's take out the scrolls and let's talk about them for a few minutes. I mean, can't you imagine that? Paul talking to the Jews in the synagogue about what's written on those scrolls. He reasons with them. And then he explains to them and proving this explaining means he makes it very simple. He makes it very clear. He opens the message of salvation of Jesus. And the proving means that he lay the word they're proving means to lay down alongside to prove with evidence. So he, you can imagine him saying, look, let's take this passage of scripture and let me show you this and point to how this applies to Jesus. He proves to them that this, that is Jesus, that it points to him, that he is the one who is the Messiah. So taking that Old Testament scriptures, showing how it points to Jesus. You see, from Genesis to Psalms to the prophets, Paul would reason and he would explain and he would prove over and over again the promise of the Messiah, who is our hope, that Jesus is the Son of God, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us, who would be born of a virgin, who would die a cruel death for sin, and be raised again. Now, we don't know what scriptures, it just says that he, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. We don't know specifically what scriptures he used, but maybe to prove that Jesus is the Christ, he said, hey guys, hey, let's open up Isaiah. Let's look at the prophet Isaiah. Let's go to the seventh chapter, verse 14 here. I don't think that's what he said, but nevertheless, we'll go there and say, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. See here, the prophet points to the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is that one, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe to prove it was necessary for Christ to suffer. He would go to, let's look at the Psalms here and see the psalmist writes, for dogs encompass me, a company of evil duels encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And he'd say, look, I know that Jesus has had his, he had his hands and his feet pierced. And then he would move to, let's go back to Isaiah and look at the prophet there in, in chapter 53, we see verse five, that he would say, look, it tells us here, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So I'm telling you, it was necessary for Jesus to suffer for your sin and for mine. And then maybe he moved to the next passage to prove that it was necessary to rise from the dead. He went back to the Psalms again. What we know is Psalm 1610. For you will not abandon my soul and shield or let your holy one see correct. Corruption and say, look, I know that this Jesus did not seek corruption. God's Holy One, Anointed One, has risen bodily from the dead. So he is the Christ. It was necessary for him to die, but he has risen. And so passage after passage, he would patiently proclaim Jesus to the people, that he's the Christ, that he suffered according to the scriptures, that he rose again according to the scriptures, that this Jesus, he is our 
hope and he's our Messiah and he is the Christ. And beloved, that news that Paul shared is the same message that we get to share, that this is the message that changes the world, amen? Amen. This is the message that changes our world, changes people. We are so grateful for God's word. Paul said in Romans 1.16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. You see, friends, you want to change the world? Then have determination with this proclamation that Jesus is the Christ who came, who suffered, who died, and has risen from the dead. Turn from sin, turn to Jesus, and trust him by faith. Beloved, that's the message that changes the world. And maybe today you hear that message and you're the one who needs to hear that yourself, just like all of us who are disciples had to hear that in our hearts and lives. And our world needed to be changed. So turn from sin and turn to Jesus and trust him today. Have that determination because of who he is and what he's done in your life. Proclaim the gospel with your lips and with your life, pointing to Jesus using the scriptures. You say, well, pastor, I have a hard time knowing what scriptures to use to point to Jesus and show that he's the Messiah. Well, I've already given you the Old Testament ones today, all right? But also, if you can't remember the Old Testament, there is one I bet you've heard before. It's John 3, 16. For God, the creator of the universe, so loved you, so loved the world, that he sent his only son, Jesus. That whoever believes in him should not perish in a real place called hell, but shall have eternal life. Amen? What a great passage. It points to Jesus. This is the good news that changes the world. So what does it take to change the world? It takes determination and proclamation along with transformation. That's the third point with transformation. You see, it's one thing to have determination, but then you must have the proclamation. But change comes when there is transformation. That's what it means. Transformed is to be changed. So here's, the, here's what I want you to know about transformation. Transformation comes when the Lord works in the heart of the person who has heard the proclamation of good news and they respond in faith. So you see, when people hear the gospel proclaimed, there's really two reactions that people have. They either respond in faith and receive the truth or they fight and reject it. And that fight may not be a literal fight, it may be an internal fight. But it, sometimes it is, I'm um, against it, you know, kind of a thing. And they reject it and they fight against it. And as we look at our passage of scripture, we see both of those reactions today. So the first one, when people are responding in faith, receiving the truth, we find in verse four. It says, and some of them, meaning the Jews in the synagogue, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And so this good news about Jesus is proclaimed. The Holy Spirit is working in their lives. And it says some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas. Now, what does that, what does that mean they joined Paul and Silas? Does it mean they, they now joined them on their journey to the next city? Or does it mean they, they joined them on their mission as missionaries? Or does it mean they joined them as disciples? Or, or does it mean they joined and believe in Jesus? Well, 
they definitely joined them in believing in Jesus and joined them as disciples. They, they definitely joined them in being on mission for the Lord to point people to Jesus. But going on the journey, I don't think there was others that went with him, but they may have been. But they heard the good news about Jesus. They received the truth and they trusted Jesus by faith. And so they joined in on being a disciple of Jesus Christ. They joined in of now walking with Jesus. They joined in on being his ambassador. They joined in and pointing to the Savior. And then later in verse 7, we see that the world pointing to the church and the, these people who are turning the world upside down, uh, they have this accusation in verse 7 of having a new king. Now, it was an accusation to bring the Roman government against them. And while it wasn't true in the sense of those accusations, it was true that as disciples of Jesus, they had a new king, the true king. Not a worldly king, not the king of their own making, but Jesus, who is the eternal king, the king of all kings, who now sits on the throne of their lives and the king who loved them and had died for them and rose again bodily from the grave. You see, this is the transformation that takes place in people who receive truth and respond in faith. We become disciples of Jesus Christ and we now have a new king who is over us and his name is Jesus. Amen. We don't, also don't want to overlook who these people are that were transformed. We see here that some of them are Jews who were persuaded, as did a great many devout, devout Greeks, Greeks or Gentiles who were searching, and not a few of the leading women, which means a bunch of women as well. And so we see here the transformation takes place in people, in all sorts of people, Jews and Greeks and women, but also we remember wealthy Lydia last week in that passage of scripture, we think about the demon-possessed slave girl who was transformed by the power of Jesus to release her from that demon possession and the jailer, the blue-collar worker and all of his family. And so we see these people were changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we recognize that Jesus has the power to change all sorts of people. And indeed, they were changed. They were transformed because Paul, in this church, as we look at this, these the people who were the, those who were persuaded, who joined in, who were the Greeks and the few of the leading women, evidently the, the church continued to grow. Later, Paul would write, write a letter to the church, this church in Thessalonica. And in chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he would say these words, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we not say anything. So not only is it evident to people that you belong to the Lord, that you have faith in him, but also the word of the Lord is sounded forth. In other words, you're telling other people about Jesus. These people had truly been transformed by the power of God through the spirit as they received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. You see, friends, the transforming power of Jesus is amazing because he changes all sorts of people and he still brings all kinds under the banner of the cross of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus still transforms people. He still transforms people, maybe who've had some kind of faith background or no faith background. He still transforms people who are on the political left and people who are on the political right. 
He still transforms people who grew up in the mountains and those who are, grew up near the water. He still transforms people who are executives. He still transforms people who are the hourly wage earners. He still transforms people who are homeless. He still transform, transforms people who are the well-to-do. He transforms people who are in the military. He transforms people who are civilians. Beloved, I'm going to tell you that he transforms people who love pie and he loves people. He, he transforms people who love cake. He, lo he transforms people who are thin and he transforms people who are thinner. All right? He does it all. Amen? He, does, he transforms all kinds of people because Jesus has the power to change anyone and everyone. However, there are those people who, who, when they hear the truth, they don't receive it, but rather they reject it. And we see that in verses 5 through 8. Real quick, we see here, but the Jews or the Jewish leaders, they were jealous and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, meaning the, the thugs of the community, they formed a mob. They set the seal in the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason. They see, sought to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason, some of the brothers before the city authorities. And they shouted, these men, they've turned the world upside down. They've come here also. And Jason received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar and saying there's another king. And the people, the city authorities, they were disturbed when they heard these things. And so to the world that rejects the truth, understand as we look here, we see this in the world today, to the world that is rejecting the truth, they're not happy with what's taking place among those who are being transformed by the power of Jesus. And so to the people who are looking in, they look at people who've given their heart to Christ and they're rejecting it themselves. And to them, it looks like these people are turning the, everything upside down. They're talking to others about Jesus. They're excited about their faith. And they're just turning, they're, they're messing things up. They're turning everything upside down. But you know something? Let me give you a little clue. The truth is, what the world sees as upside down among believers is actually right side up. Because the world is already upside down. Y'all tracking with me? You following? So what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, here, here's the thing. You need to know that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, when God created everything, he created everything not upside down. He created everything right side up. And then when you come to Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters into the world, the devil you know, tempts Adam and Eve and they give in to sin, the world becomes broken. And at that point, the world turns upside down. It had been right side up, but because of sin, it turns upside down. So in other words, instead of walking in a relationship with God like Adam and Eve had done, now man is separated from him. It's upside down. Instead of having peace with God, man is now under the wrath of God. Instead of being in the light, man is now in darkness. Instead of having spiritual sight, now the man is spiritually blind. Instead of being fully alive, man is now dead in his sin. Instead of being free from sin, the man now is captive to sin. Instead of having hope and joy and love, man is now hopeless and there's full, he's full of pain and there's hatred. And there was nothing, absolutely nothing, that man or the world could do to fix this upside-down world. Nothing. But God. But God sent His Son, Jesus. 
And Jesus came and he is able, because of what he has done on the cross of Calvary and at the empty tomb, to turn this upside down world right side up. Amen? You see, it's through Jesus that we are transformed. This upside down world is now turned right side up through Jesus. Instead of darkness, he is the light. And so we once were separated from God, but now through Jesus, we're in a relationship with him. We once were spiritually blind, but now through Jesus, we see. We once were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now through Jesus, he has made us alive. We once were under his wrath, but now through Jesus, we have peace with God. We once were captive to sin, but now through Jesus, we are set free. We once had no hope, but now through Jesus, we have eternal hope. We know that there's a better day that is yet coming. And then while we're living here, that he, through the spirit, gives us joy and peace and his love. We, we once were upside down, beloved, but now through Jesus, we are right side up and our world has changed. And so listen, beloved, as the church with the power of the Holy Spirit because of who Jesus is and what he's done, let us have determination with the proclamation of Jesus and then trusting him to do his work in the hearts and lives of people. May we see transformation take place and other people. Amen? Amen. There's two to-dos and then we're done. Number one, it's a big one. Go change the world one person at a time. Go change the world one person at a time. I love what, even though these guys are really giving it to the Christians and saying, look, they've turned the world upside down. I notice here, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Beloved, can your community say that about where you live? That these people who love Jesus, well, they've come here also. Do the people that you frequent where you go, do they know that you belong to Jesus? Do they know of your love for Jesus? I pray so. Go change the world one person at a time. And then here's the second point, the second to do. Stay at it. Stay at it person you wrote down on the chair, they hadn't come to know Christ yet. Hey, you stay at it. You keep praying for them. Keep asking God to give you opportunities and you point those people to Jesus. Keep praying for those names. Keep pointing people to Jesus. I was reading in my commentaries this week and the one that Kent Hughes writes, he had a story there. And I want to share that with you real quick as we finish up. He said, he said, a pastor friend of mine was in a nice restaurant one day And when the waitress came over to the table, he said, have you made the wonderful discovery of knowing Jesus personally? And in the conversation, she indicated that she'd not, and she began to make excuses. She couldn't get to church on Sunday because she worked, and she'd be more comfortable with the Bible in her own language. She was Romanian, and so so on. She would go on with the excuses. And since there was not very many people in the restaurant, my friend, he says, reached for a copy of a gospel track that he typically kept with him, but he discovered he didn't have it with him. And so he simply took a napkin and he wrote out the steps of how to know Christ personally, how to be saved, and he gave that napkin to her. He went on his way and later that day dropped off a Romanian Bible for her. And then at a later date, he came back to the restaurant and now it was very busy But from across the restaurant, the waitress saw him and she came over to tell him that she had been reading that Bible. As a matter of fact, she said, she'd sometimes read it all night long. 
But better yet, she had come to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And then she pulled out that napkin out of her pocket. And at this point, this napkin was almost in tatters. And she said to him, would you please write that plan down for me again? Would you write that down again for me? Because I have showed this so many times to so many people that now my napkin is coming apart. Boy, isn't that great? This woman who had been, who had been changed by the power of Jesus Christ, her life was now right side up and she was proclaiming that message of salvation to others. Beloved, we are the church who's been changed by Jesus Christ. Let us proclaim it to people. Amen? Amen. So you go on ahead and you invent that flying car if you want to. You run for office. That's certainly good. And please try to get rid of daylight saving time. But to really change the world, have determination as a disciple of Jesus Christ with a proclamation preaching Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead, that he is the Christ, and see the transformation that the Lord will do in people's lives. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we pray today, Lord, that if there are those who've never heard that message of salvation, that this would be that moment when they say, yes, I know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who loved me, who died for me, who rose again, and I trust him by faith today. Maybe there are those who've never done that before. May this be that moment. Or you're calling them to yourself. I pray that this is that day. For those of us, Lord, who have had that happen in our lives already, we have trusted you by faith, turning from sin, turning to you, Jesus, knowing that you are who you say you are, giving our hearts to you, let us now be the ones who go and proclaim that message to the people that we come in contact with every single day. May we have the determination with this proclamation. May we see the transformation that takes place in the lives of people and may the people around us look at us and say, look, there are those people who are turning the world upside down. God, I pray may it be said of us. Lord, be with us as we come to this invitation. For those who need to come and pray, maybe to pray with a pastor to say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Or maybe it's to pray and say, please pray for me to have boldness. Please pray for me to have courage to, to proclaim good, the good news of Jesus. Please pray for my son, my daughter. Please pray for my mother, my father. Please pray for my friend at work who needs to know Jesus. Will you please pray with me, pastor? Or maybe it's folks, Lord, who just need to pray silently here today. Lord, surrendering to you, recommitting our lives to you to be people of determination with the proclamation to watch you do the transformation. Lord, we love you. We look to you. We yield to you. We surrender to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. We're here to pray with you. Or you can pray silently. Whatever you need to do.